I'm only laughing because whoever is listening to this episode is going to be lost like five different ways. Yeah, we haven't even gone into the the crux <laughs> okay, of things. No. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by Sharice Poon and Eugene Can. Okay, so you shared a semi-long thread of tweets for this week by at Cultural Tutor. And I have a more specific question. So you can, you know, introduce what the tweet thread is about. But because I know you are a well-traveled man, Eugene, after you explain the gist of the thread of tweets, I would like to know about your lived experience of different cities. Okay? Lived so experience is such an interesting word because I've used that a lot. And it feels like it's a cop-out for like... To say experience? To say like, hey, you know what? You can't I really... I light. You can't push against my point of view because it's my well, lived experience. I can push against, against your point of view, but I just think, you know, this is a point of difference between what you'll have to say and I have to say. Yes. I do think you've been to more places than me. Okay. Okay. I mean... All right. It's not a competition, Charisse. It's not a competition. Just giving you an opportunity to talk about the things you know. All right. Well, first, before we start, I, I want to ask you... Another question? Okay. I want to <laughs> ask you... Keep track of the questions. I want to ask you, are Twitter threads of less substance than, like, when article or, you know <laughs> what i mean like a loaded question are twitter threads of less i thought about it when i share this i'm like and and what's the name of the the account at cultural tutor yeah cultural tutor is like Who it kind of follow. reminds me do you me. follow this account algo the algo got me mm, okay okay and it got you thinking about what I, it got me thinking like it to me this is like one of those i don't know it's like a it's like a travel like publication from like the mid 2010s okay so this is obviously like such a sidebar but a very interesting sidebar have i piqued your interest you in definitely yes. have okay because twitter threads as a format i have thought about this and it's actually oh wait you open again don't 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 be put me on blast <laughs> eugene's about to open a beer second one um I have thought about this concept that's not concept, this media format, Twitter threads, because it can be abused for fake news and disinformation. Because it creates a it lends fake legi- it, it, sense Yes, 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 yes. Importance. credibility, yes. importance and credibility. The fact that someone, it, it, it appears to readers that the fact that you constructed an elaborate Twitter threads with like different links and at handles. He really knows what he's talking about. Yes, this isn't an expert. They must be right. You know what's How interesting? How many people fact check a Twitter thread? Okay. <laughs> I didn't fact check this one. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. We didn't. We didn't, didn't fact check this you, one. You know what's also funny? Because this is somehow in relation to that David Rudnick thing I shared. We haven't talked about it, but basically this one tweet by David Rudnick suggested that, why are you laughing? I'm only laughing because whoever is listening to this episode is going to be lost like five different ways. Yeah, we haven't even gone into the the crux okay, of things. No, okay, David Rudnick, Twitter thread. Basically, he was saying that like mood board accounts these days are a way for people to feel pseudo creative because they're putting themselves into the the shoes of a like a creative director or an art director. No, I'm, I know, I know. I read this thread, yeah. 
And I'm hesitant to pick it to talk about on Making It Up because it, it is has that feeling of authoritative knowledge like without necessarily being I didn't look at it that true. way. I kind of feel like I, it makes sense to me. Okay, but th- we can't talk about mood boards because this is not the, the subject. Right, you know we what? we okay. can only talk about the Rudnick tweet from the perspective of Twitter threats, okay? Yes, okay. So let's talk about the Rudnick thing, not because of the content. Okay, let's try briefly, try to divorce like the form and the content. And to just say that uh, what Twitter does is an author who appears credible, has followers, maybe a blue check, tweets a series of something, and that format gives it authority. And in our day and age, this brings it back to the thread we're talking about now, or just like in general media, people have a lot of skepticism about traditional media. New York Times, Washington Post, SEMP, whatever is a newspaper in your town. And there's a lot of trust that people give to people on the internet. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Twitter threads don't have substance, but I am cautious about the manipulation of yeah. like our perspective. So we're kind of on the same page. Before you mention anything, highlight the fact that, oh, uh, you know what? The Twitter thread is credible. Sorry, don't look at me in a certain light, but I have sometimes wondered as a social experiment, how easy or hard it would be to deceive people with that Twitter thread approach. Because I agree, it's like, it's not hard to feign like intelligence, credibility, expertise. Hey, listen. You y- thought of it too. Uh, no, no, no. I don't think I have the platform <laughs> for it. I don't, or I don't even think I have the art for writing that type of Twitter thread. But I think you do, which is not. Whoa. Which is not. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is what not, does that mean? Explain not, yourself right which is now. Not me throwing shade, but you have a good history of actually saying things that are true and fact-checked and Oh, okay. So you think I have like a decent brand have, for it. Yeah, you have a decent brand, de- decent voice. So no, but if, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't were, do it from my own. Wouldn't. I, I would do it from a burner wouldn't. account. Okay, then that's not going to work. You'd be surprised. Listen, if you, I'm not saying you will. I know you won't. But if you did intentionally tweet a thread of tweets that was slightly misleading. Okay, let's just say misleading. Or you were trying to make an argument that is not entirely well-founded. I think it would work. I think people would believe it. Okay, okay should we actually talk about, yeah, let's talk you know, about the, the content let's talk here? About the topic. All right, enough All right. self-reflection on the fact that we picked a Twitter thread. Tell people yeah. what it's about. All right. This tweet thread by the cultural tutor hit at the right time. I think that for you and I, we obviously live in a big city. We often feel a certain energy that comes with like living in a big city, right? And once you go to a smaller place, and you and I have both lived in relatively smaller places, right? Like you kind of know the difference. Like when you lived in in Texas, I lived, you know, in Canada. Like mm-hmm. you, you just know what energy feels like and what it doesn't feel like, right? And I think in the opening tweet, it it talks a lot about just like the idea of urban planning as a way that cities derive energy, right? It's like the intersection of residential, commercial, and cultural buildings all together. Uh, And some examples they use are like street level shops like your butcher or your hairdresser, 
with apartments above and a smattering of cultural activities in between, like parks, theaters, etc. And I guess in a small city, you'd probably have more space where you would never have the same level of population density, right? But by planning a city this way, you form certain communities because, you know, it's a restaurant community, aka like your neighborhood restaurant. It's a pub or a bar, it's churches, etc. And I think that, you know, when it comes to it, there's this human desire around the things that form up from having these communities. And I think these communities are kind of the lifeline, the, the, the energy that we were talking about earlier. And then I think the one thing they talk about in the thread too is that at some point, the Industrial Revolution basically segmented where you lived and where you worked. And that's in many ways how sort of that energy changed where suddenly residential was just purely residential. And commercial obviously was more the old town where things were in the past, like kind of your city centers, et cetera. So one thing that's interesting is that like, we've talked like probably years ago, right? We talked about how like in this day and age, we've lost a lot of like random social contact because in in many ways, things are are now at a point where you just go from A to B and there are very few opportunities for you just randomly enter into like a social. Yeah, your life doesn't require it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's the one thing that I find interesting when you have more shared spaces. And that's kind of what the energy of certain urban planning provides is like it's it's just that ability to interact, to interact and crisscross with people of different walks of life. You know, and I think that, you know, the, the subway for for places that have subways, I think that's like a great example where, you know, people of all different walks of life are taking public transportation. And when you lose public transportation or public goods, I think that's when you start to see a much more fragmented and segmented society and culture. Yeah, I mean, the the thread is definitely making an argument, like not just pointing out the difference between, as the thread author says, mixed use versus single use spaces. But I do think it is trying to make an argument that mixed use is better than single use and that mixed use increases the health of individuals in different ways, mental, emotional, physical health, and also economically that, you know, things are reliant on each other. This mix creates different opportunities, that type of thing. This is what we mean by we didn't fact check this because I'm sure this stuff has been studied. Yeah, yeah. Of uh, I'm sure there's data on, you know, the sub- the different levels of quality of a city as a result of putting residential with commercial, et cetera, versus like separating the two. Mm. So, I mean, that that's why I asked you about lived experience, right? Because that is what we can talk about. Not to say like, you know, it's irrefutable, but that yeah. our own experience of the big cities, the mixed use neighborhoods, or even big cities without mixed use, right? Yeah. Because when I was thinking about this, I'm like, having lived in Hong Kong for so long, you don't think twice about it. Because the convenience is actually the fact that it is mixed use. So me going to get food is like literally downstairs. Like yeah. it is downstairs, yeah. right? You obviously live in a much more of a mixed use. I live use, in an even like, like a typical ex- example, like such a good example. Yeah, maybe maybe explain what your neighborhood looks like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, So I live, oh, I probably shouldn't dox myself. I, do, I live in a neighborhood where beneath me is like six restaurants. And across the street, there's a bubble tea shop that has changed 
like name and owners like three times in the two years I've lived there. So that's just an indication. There are, I believe, two different primary schools and a secondary school within like a 10 minute walk. So this is just indicating all the different types of things, right? Supermarkets. Buses right under me, uh, supermarkets, convenience stores. I'm about a 15 minute walk from the train station. There's a park that's like a two minute walk from me, a gas station. So what I'm saying is like every element of a city, I could probably locate within the five blocks around me. It's probably also done in a way where it's not one of those like overly commercial things where like, you know, in certain parts of, let's say, New York, right, where if you need to find a hardware store, you're not going to find it in like mm, the heart yeah, of Manhattan. Yeah. Versus like Hong Kong is kind of unique in that sense where like I think hardware stores are actually quite prevalent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can only imagine your hardware store is probably closer than your MTR station, like yeah, your subway exa- station. No, no, you're right. And all of these other places like I'm really shout out to my neighborhood. You can get a lock change you can get a key made your hair cut yeah a bank several banks like it it is wildly convenient a printing shop a stationery store i i my partner and i basically cannot leave the neighborhood yeah like in this day and age in in hong kong like unless you need a very specialized thing you could probably get like if you need a usb cable yeah you get it with relative ease you need like a usb stick i don't know i'm sorry i didn't send this to you earlier but you i only just thought of it while you were talking about um, the Twitter thread, my friend had sent me this PDF previously because it mentions the neighborhood I live in. And it's by this Hong Kong street concern group. So not governmental, just people mm-hmm. who are concerned about the health of streets, the safety and the vibrancy. And the PDF references a professor, Carlos Moreno, who who studies argue that the healthiest way to live is if you can access everything within a 15 minute radius Mm. Mm, yeah so there's this very nice illustrated chart in this pdf that basically shows your home at the center and then all these other components all the things you do in your life eat healthy learn work share stock up enjoy the outdoors get around take care of your health stay active in a circle around your home and indicating that all those things should be within 15 minutes of where you are. And I, I like this. We've been talking about, you know, different practical things like errands, like buying USBs. But I like this framing where it's about the different activities you need to do as a person to live a meaningful life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you still haven't answered my question. Can you talk a little bit about how your experiences have changed as you've traveled or seen different parts of the world? So. I just came back from Singapore a few weeks ago, and it's interesting because Singapore and Hong Kong often get lumped in like as competitors, right? Singapore, I could see being a great place for families, and I the reason why is because the urban planning has created a much more like chilled environment, right? Like the 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 density of the streets, the even the the width of the streets, right? Like it just feels a lot different. Whereas I can go a further distance without seeing anybody. I mean, let's not talk about population density. It's just like the general feeling, right? Mm. And I, I kept thinking because I, in many ways, energy that comes with cities, I think is almost impossible to just immediately build because it's a byproduct of almost irreversible decisions that were made at a certain point in time. So like, if you want to create energy in your city, like this is something that, you know, I'm sure talk, is talked a lot about in 
certain like mid-tier cities where they want to make the downtown more vibrant, but it's not that easy, right? Because you maybe you don't have the the balance of population density meets urban planning, aka it's like just office buildings where on the weekend no one's there. Exactly, it's never going to be as simple of a solution as let's have a art and music festival every two weekends. Like it's yeah. not going to be the solution because people just come in and then they truck out after, right? And I, and it's also maybe something to think about is like is this something that humans fundamentally crave is like the ability for you to interact and be in the thick of things like i think maybe not when you get older like you don't want to be like 65 and like downstairs it's like popping off every night but i kind of just i mean i I I agree and i disagree i I agree in the sense that people should get options not every person is the same we might be able to make some generalities about, you know, we need to be active in order to be healthy, but also not everyone has the same preference. Like mm. some people do like to live very far away from people and not see anyone ever. However, the point that I disagree with is actually, I've been thinking about this as my parents get older. I would like if they lived a little bit in a more convenient place. Yeah. Because I, I think about the aspect that more accidents can happen. Yeah. To yeah, yeah. By being further away from people or further away from the things that they need. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that doesn't really answer the question of like, do humans have a I mean, fundamental I would, desire that, to be in the thick of it? I mean, I kind of know the answer because I think that humans prefer social interaction more than they don't. Like, it's the norm to want to interact with people, whether it's your family or whoever. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the exception to want to be, you know, a hermit. Generally speaking. Yeah. I actually did kind of have an ulterior motive by asking you about like the travel because I was kind of wondering if... Tokyo would come up in your discussion because mm. I saw a tweet that I now cannot find like another thread it was very much like your thread mm. and actually when you sent me this I was like damn this is just like this other thread I read but I can't find that thread so apologies this thread was saying that in Tokyo or possibly other parts of Japan as well if you buy property in a townhouse you are legally allowed to run business out of the ground floor as a regular resident. So you can sell cookies or, you know, sell secondhand clothing or whatever you want. And that's totally legal. Mm -hmm. And this thread author, this is funny, it's going back to like, you know, credibility and trust, uh, argued that this is a reason why Tokyo is so much more vibrant and exciting. Mm, Yeah. Because all of there's these just random small businesses in alleys and in residential places. Yeah. And also, I think that in some ways, having that setup deprioritizes the need for you to create a certain expected business because it's your home, right? Yeah. So if you want to, I'm making this up, but like if you want to do like a very niche type of food in a restaurant setting that is now your, your downstairs, you can do it because like, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, you're going to live there anyways. Yeah, there's no overhead. Like, yeah. you don't have to rent a separate place. I mean, yeah, you might not get a lot of customers for this niche food because it just happens to be where you live, but you can try. This has been like a rent. It's not really related to this, but it's like, that's one thing that a bunch of friends have always talked about was like buying property in like a small town city, like a Ryokan, and just like running uh, some sort of thing there. It is weird how often... This kind of dream comes up when you talk to friends about wouldn't it be great if we could run a coffee shop or an izakaya or a bookstore? It's like we all have these business desires, but not for like profit for yeah. like maybe engagement in the community or 
participating or just like you have good good ideas or you think yeah. you have good ideas? Yeah. My general takeaway from this is that as cities in terms of dying, I think are actually maybe a little bit more resilient than we think on the basis of, you know, decades of urban planning that subtly influence the the landscape. So yeah, that's that's all I really have to say about that. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by Sharice Poon and Eugene Kan. 